pray with me? So, Lord, we, uh, we ask now, then in a way beyond words and really beyond our total understanding that you would <clears throat> be in this place and that you, by your Holy Spirit, in that miraculous way, would deal with each of our hearts as we're open to you. For some, this is new and kind of scary, and for some, this is the pattern of our lives. And so, Lord, wherever we are, whoever we are today, believing that you're a God who cares about every human being in this world, reach down to us today, I pray. We calm our hearts, we still our minds. We open ourselves to you, God, the true, the living, triune God. In the name of Jesus, and all God's people agreed and said, amen. Good morning, welcome. Good to have all of you here today at the <coughs> end of spring break. And uh, you probably had to come back home and recover, probably. I, sometimes that happens to people. They go on vacation and have to go back to work to rest. Well, we're moving on uh, toward Easter Sunday. Excited about that. Hope you are. It's always a highlight of our church year, of, of our year, uh, Easter Sunday and all that it means to us. We're looking at the last words of Jesus, looking at John 13 through 17, and uh, Jesus the last night before he goes to the cross. And, and this, uh, this uh, passage of Scripture <clears throat> is, is really, I think, really important because I think there is a, a really huge gap in terms of the plan of God uh, between the end of John and the book of Acts. And this is really a bridge between uh, the old economy that's tied back to the Old Testament where God was working through the nation of Israel and to a new economy where he is going to now work through the church us. He has been working through the nation of Israel, through Jews, and now he is progressively opening up his plan to where it includes all nations and all peoples of the world. And that's why when you get over to the book of Revelation, and we love it, and it talks about that around the throne of God, there's going to be people from every tribe and nation, every language, all of that, and uh, that's exciting for us. And so this, these, this, this talk that Jesus is giving with his disciples here is bringing them to the point where this is going to bridge over. And one of the things that's going to make it possible is going to be the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's where we're going to camp today. But we could review just a little bit if you would uh, allow me. And In John 13, we looked at we're called to love each other. Uh, a reciprocal love. Three times, he says there at the end of chapter 13, love one another, love one another, love one another. And so that should be the hallmark <coughs> of the body of Christ, is our love for each other in the name of God. Chapter 14, I kind of talked about a couple things. I talked about the, the, that heaven is, is a real place where God lives and where we're going to be with God one day. And then I really hit how we 
focus on the gospel, which is John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we talked about that. We had our breakout sessions that Sunday where you could go and find out about how to come to this place where you have this relationship with God and how you can share this with other people. Last Sunday, let's see, last Sunday, John 15, we talked about fruitfulness. You remember that? About that as we remain in the vine, as we abide in a relationship with God, that the goal of God is that we would bear fruit for him, much fruit. In fact, it says in verse 16 of chapter 15, fruit that would last. Do you remember that? Fruit that would have value not only now, but a hundred years from now. So now we get to chapter 16. And it starts out with a, with a less than encouraging word. Uh, the first four verses of the chapter talks about that, um, that people will hate you. Now, this is not a new idea. If you've been reading with us in chapter 15, it talks about the world will hate you. It said it hated me, it's going to hate you. If you identify with me, the world is going to hate you. Why does the world, why does the world hate us? Why does the world hate Christians? We're going to get some insight into that today as we look at the work of the Holy Spirit. But I think it, it, it goes back to that we're, 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 we're different than them. We don't affirm their values. And I think in some sense, when you live by another standard, I think there's something inside of people that realize that their way doesn't quite measure up to that. And they don't like that. <clears throat> and when people don't like you, and when you kind of get in the way of their desire to feel good about themselves and to feel like they're better than everybody else, and all of a sudden you're getting in the way because you're showing something different if you're living the life of God through you, all of a sudden their desire to be better and to be superior is unfulfilled. And they don't like that. And I think... So I think there's a real level in which if you live for God, you're going to bring a level of conviction to other people. Now, if you try to do it by being arrogant and proud, that's no, 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 that's not it. That's, that's not from God. That's something, that's a whole different animal that uh, is repulsive to God and to all God's people. <clears throat> but it says here, that, that was chapter 15, but chapter 16 it says, in verse 2, it says, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. <clears throat> Excuse me, what he's saying here is that there, there's people who will persecute you in the name of God. There will be religious people, and, and you know, you don't have to know very much about the history of the world to know that there have been people who have persecuted other people in the name of God. even to the point of putting other people to death in the name of God. I mean, later in the New Testament, we're about, we'll read about Saul of Tarsus. I was putting people to death and thinking that he was serving God in the name of religion. Who ultimately found God and God changed him. So enough about that. I want to focus today on verses uh, 5 through 16, so let me read those. 
John 16, verses 5 through 16. Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. In a little while you will see me no, long, no more, and then after a little while you will see me. May God bless the reading of this as on holy, inspired word. Jesus says he's going to leave and the Holy Spirit's going to come. And I need to talk about that for just a minute. That the whole idea of that we believe that God exists in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now if you read the Bible, you realize it's a little bit, a little bit different than the Trinity that you will see in the shack. I don't know if you've even seen the movie yet or read the book. Just, just so the, the Bible's, the Bible, the truth is a little different than, than, than the book and the movie. Not going to say there's nothing good you can take away from those things. But I'm not going to say it's all right either. Okay? You know, it always, gets a, it always gets a little fuzzy when we, you know, we say God the Father, God the Son. Then it gets God the Holy Spirit. In fact, it used to really make it even worse when we used the King James Version, which was the Holy Ghost, okay, Holy Ghost, whoa, um, Holy Spirit is kind of almost scary enough. Well, what is this? And I want to try to dispel some of that, that, I don't know if I can dispel the mystery, that's not the right word, but I want to dis dispel some of that discomfort, I think, sometimes that is outside of our comfort zone. This is the third part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, co-equal in power, all worthy of our worship and our love and our obedience. It is the way that God exists. It's the way God communicates to us. It goes all the way back to Genesis 2-1, and, and the Spirit of God hovered over the deep from the very beginning. This is the way God has existed. God has acted through the years. God empowers people through His Spirit. He reveals His will and His way he reveals himself to us by the Holy Spirit. It is part of the plan of God. It is not something to be feared or to think that it's just spooky. Okay? I want to get past that. Jesus begins in this part by saying, it's, it's good for you, I'm leaving. Because they're all sad because he's leaving. Okay? He's leaving, they're sad, that's, that's normal. But he says it's really good for you because if I go away, I'm going, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and it's going to be even better. It's going to be even better than Jesus being here. Now, how could that be? Well, Jesus could only be one place at the time. 
I mean, you know, when Jesus, when they came around looking for Jesus and Jesus was off praying, remember they, went, they had to go look for him. Well, he says, when I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to be in you and live with you, all of you, each of you, wherever you are. And so it's a whole lot better that the Holy Spirit is going to come that I, than for just me to stay and live in one geographic location. And this whole idea of the indwelling Holy Spirit, which we in the church have heard a lot about, that when you come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of believers. It goes all the way back to Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost when this new economy began, that the Holy Spirit came to dwell in believers. Uh, and, and, but but understand this was this was a, this is a new this is a new thing this is a new paradigm in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit didn't live in every believer the Holy Spirit came on different people for different works and different seasons but it seems as though in some way the Spirit would come and go as you read through the Old Testament that's the the sense that I get whereas we now have this sense where the Spirit has come and stayed it's a good thing. So in this passage, we see the twofold work of the Holy Spirit. One is going to be to the world and to unbelievers, and is also to the apostles, and then ultimately, I think, to all believers. So let's, let's begin with that. Let's talk about first the Holy Spirit's ministry in the world. And that's where we see in verse 8 of our text. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, Go race back in your mind to the month of February. We talked about making disciples that month. And I talked a lot about the responsibility that you and I have to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And I'm, and I'm not, um, not going to diminish that in any way today. I think if you're a believer in Christ, you have a mandate to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. To be a light for God. To share the good news of Christ with other people. But, but, but hear me today, we're not alone in this. In fact, we're, our part is a very small part compared to the work that we see here of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9 says that the Holy Spirit does what? He says he is going to, in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. Verse 10, in regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you see me no longer, in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So he comes to convict the world of sin. And, 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 and there's so many stories, there's so many stories of where there is that sense of, of uh, epiphany where God breaks through into people's lives. And we could go to the Bible and we can go to history and we can go to today. I mean, I think back, and I was trying to think about how this all works. I think about when you get over to Acts chapter 10, and there was, there was this, this, there was this God-fearing Gentile named Cornelius, and it says God appeared to him in a vision. Is that the work of the Spirit? I heard the story of Anthony Rossi, the man, the immigrant who, for, who founded Tropicana Orange Juice. Before he did that, he was just a poor immigrant, and he went to the library in New York City, and he, he was reading the Bible in a public library and came under conviction by the Holy Spirit and gave his life to Christ. Acts chapter 2, 
you know, sometimes I think we, we miss that. But if you read there where Peter stood up and preached, you remember that? Peter stood up and preached, and the message was, was, was a pretty, you know, simple message. It wasn't all that eloquent, and it was, in fact, it was pretty hardcore in that he was saying, you know, you, you Jews have crucified Jesus. What happened? Well, you get down to verse 37, what happened? It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, let me tell you, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, because normally people would have, he's just told them, he said, let all Israel be assured, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, hear, hear that, both Lord and Christ. Now, what would most people say to that? They would, they would say this. And it says what? It says they were cut to the heart. And said, what do we need to do? How can we make this right? How should we respond to this? How in the world did that happen? That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. There's no, there's, there's no human explanation for that kind of response by people. I was, I was, I was reading a story that R.A. Torrey told a, a minister of yesteryear. And he's t he, he was pastor in church, and he said his church began to pray that God would bring conviction of sin on people without Christ. Seems like a pretty good prayer to pray to me. And he says one day, uh, one night, a man showed up in his service, and the man was all dressed like he was going out on the town. And after the service, they had an inquiry room, and they went there where people could ask questions about the gospel message they'd heard and, and make a response to Christ. And, and so, he, so he went to the room, and there was this, this guy all dressed up. And he said the man was quite agitated. He says, I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I was headed out this afternoon to go gambling. And I stopped to listen to some of your young men at an outdoor meeting. I started down the street, and some strange power turned me around and, and I came back for the rest of the meeting they brought me here tonight to hear you preach it. I don't know what's the matter with me. I feel awful. I've never felt this way before. And Tori says, I know what's the matter. You're under conviction of sin. The Holy Spirit is dealing with you. And he shared the gospel of Christ with him and he gave his life to God. I don't know about you, I, I can remember when I came to faith, I remember there was, for me, it was, a, it was almost, it was a supernatural thing where I felt the burden of my sin, the shame of my sin, like a brick in the face kind of thing. Um, what was that? Uh, it was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So, he says here that, back to our passage in John 16. Um, he says he's, because he's going to, in regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. Men do not believe in me. Now, now believe in the Gospel of John is committing themselves to Christ, but I think, Beyond that, I, I think for many, this is an important 
This is an important step for people to make, and sometimes it's hard for people to make. And I don't know. I think about in this, in 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 in, in 2017 in America. You know, I and just watching how the demographics are growing in our country is there are more and more people who who have no faith, who have no sense of God. And and, and I think that for for many people atheism has become a badge of 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 intellectual superiority. And so for them, the work of the Holy Spirit is for them to come to that place where they can acknowledge there is a power greater than them. It's like the Tower of Babel all over again. Verse 10 is going to convict of righteousness. The righteousness of Christ, I think, is in this, is wrapped up in this, the blameless, spotless Lamb of God, the hope of the world. Verse 11 talks about conviction of judgment, that there is a day coming the prince of this world now stands condemned and if you read at the end of the revelation book of revelation you can read about the end of satan satan when the judgment is final finally collected and called and established the apostle paul was trying to describe his call to ministry from god and he describes it this way in acts chapter 26 Verse 18, he says, I came to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may, might receive forgiveness. That's his ministry. People from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to the kingdom of God. That's the struggle in which we live. That's the battle that we're in for the souls of men and women and boys and girls. And, and people don't like to hear it, but let me see if I can illustrate this for you. Uh, I hope none of you are superstitious. If you are, get over it. Somebody said this is a really big umbrella. I think it is. And I'm like, if you're going to have an umbrella, why don't you have one big enough I'm, I'm sorry, one of my pet peeves are those umbrellas that are about this big around, you know. I mean, like, you're still going to get wet. Why are, you, why are you? Maybe it's just your hair, ladies. I don't know. Um, this is what I believe. I believe that when I came to Jesus Christ and I surrendered my life to him, I came under the umbrella of the power and the protection, the lordship, the goodness of God. And I believe that everybody who knows Christ lives under this umbrella. But I think if you don't have the umbrella, then I think it makes sense to me in a spiritual sense that you're powerless in a spiritual warfare and you're subject to the powers of the dark side, of Satan, of evil. 
Now, I don't want to get all spooky and all that on you, but it, it, there's, there's a very logical sense in which is, as when I am not under the umbrella of God's protection and God's power, that I'm in a place where I'm vulnerable to one who we believe, I think most of us believe that the devil is more powerful than we are. And if you just follow that logic out, that if you believe that the devil is more powerful than we are, and if I am not under the power and the protection of the one who is greater than the devil, which is God Almighty, then I am subject to his influence, his power, his darts, his snares, however you want to, whatever metaphor you want to use, I'm subject to that. Let me see if I can wrap this up and move on to the second part here. But uh, Warren Wiersbe said it this way, and I thought this was, a, this, was, this was a pretty succinct way of wrapping up this part, portion of Scripture. When a lost sinner is under conviction, he will see the folly and evil of his unbelief. That's the first part. He will confess that he does not measure up to the righteousness of Christ. That's the conviction of righteousness. And he will realize that he is under condemnation because he belongs to the world and the devil. And again, it's a hard thing to say to people. People don't want to hear that. But there's a logic that if we're not under God's protection and there's a spiritual war going on and there's evil in the world, he's called the prince of the power of this world. So, let's move on to the second part, the work of the Holy Spirit and the apostles. And then to us, but we need to go back to chapter 14, verse 26. Let me read that. 14. But the counselor of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So he's already talked about this. Now he gets over in 16. He's bringing it back up. He's a good teacher. Christ is a good teacher. He's bringing it up again. He's repeating himself. That's what good, good teachers do. Repetition aids learning. That's what they say. We're holding, we're holding on to that. And then we get over to 16, 13. He says, he will guide you into all truth. He will teach you all things in 14, 26, and 16. He will guide you into all truth. And I think specifically here, he's talking about things yet to come. He's talking about that he's going to inspire these apostles to write the New Testament and write the, the prophetic passages in the New Testament, and, and especially the book of Revelation. He will tell you what is yet to come. Now, let me say this. He is, this. And so part of this has to do with the inspiration of the New Testament. Part of this has to do with that this is the Word of God. This is our guidebook. This is the, uh, as, I, as I like to say sometimes when I have a lengthy Scripture reading, don't, don't moan and groan about a long Scripture reading in the, in the sermon portion of the, of the service because that is the only part that is 100% accurate. Okay? The rest of it is, 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 a, is a human attempt at making it plain and understandable. But it does not have that 100% accuracy that we claim for the Word of God. So we have the Word of God, and we have the Holy Spirit that comes to indwell us and work within us. And He takes the Word of God, and He helps us, and He teaches us. He is the teacher. He guides us and teaches us what we, what we need to know when we need to know it, and when we're ready to receive it. Which, which means that there's a part of the equation where you and I, in this continual walk with God, and that's why in chapter 15 we talked about abiding, remaining in the vine. 
so that the communication is free. So there's nothing to block communication between God and, and us. Now, it tells us here, let me see if I can wrap this up. He tells us here that the work of the Holy Spirit, he's going to glorify Christ, he's going to teach us about Christ, and, and, and we know that through the first part of this chapter, he draws people to Christ. Now, there's so much more that the Holy Spirit does that I can't, I can't touch on it. I mean, I can touch on it today, but I can't really unwrap today. He gifts and guides Christians to serve others. That's the whole idea of spiritual gifts. He is, uh, he's described as the seal of God guaranteeing our future with God. It's one of the reasons that we know that, that, that God has guaranteed that he's going to take care of us in our future. And, and he is the inner witness of God assuring us of our adoption by God. That's in Romans 8.16. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And so much more. So the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. He's like the, uh, the, uh, the inner guidance system from God. I mean, I think this is, this is the case. Okay, this is the case. I was talking to someone last week, and, and just seemingly, by coincidence, we had run into somebody that, was, that knew something that this person needed to know. And I put, and all of a sudden, it just seemed as though it was a coincidence when it happened, but what was happening was God was putting people together because this person really needed to know this other person for their to move them along spiritually and emotionally. And I was like, how did that all happen? And we all had a sense, all three of us had a sense, you know, God is at work. That, I think that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He does those kinds of things. So let me give you an application. This is the application. It talks here about how the Holy Spirit convicts people on the outside. What, 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 what I've talked about human responsibility. We need to share the good news of Christ, but we also need to pray, I think. What does it say in 2 Corinthians? Are we to that 2 Corinthians? Yeah. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, listen, that's Satan. Remember, we're in spiritual warfare. If you're outside that umbrella, if you're, out, if you're not under the umbrella of God's protection, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan blinds people's eyes so that they cannot understand this gospel. So we need to do what? I think we need to pray. We need to pray that God will open their eyes and the Holy Spirit will convict them. If you, if you have ever tried to share your faith with people, sometimes you share your faith with people and they're so ready and they just, they're ready to give their lives to the Lord. And I, I, I see some of you in this room and I can still remember when you came to faith and it was like, Al, just get out of the way. This person's ready to give their life to the Lord. It's just, it's God. God's all over this. And I've shared my faith with people before and it was like talking to a blank wall. It's like, same truth, same gospel. I think the God of this age blinded their eyes. And unless the Holy Spirit breaks through and convicts and draws people, I think we need to pray that. Hey, let me give you a plug. 
These are, these are on the back table. Easter's coming. I will present the gospel as clear as I know how on Easter Sunday. Bring somebody with you. Why don't you make a commitment right now in your heart that you're going to invite three people or three families to come on Easter Sunday and pick up some of these invite cards on the back table. Will you do your part? You can't, you, you, we, we can't be the Holy Spirit. We, we can't do that. We, we, uh, but God has said that we're to go into all the world and make disciples. And we're to be ambassadors for him. We're to speak for him. We're to stand in his place and speak for him. So take one of these and invite somebody. The second thing we see here is for us. It's for, the, it's for, the, for those of us who know Christ. And I have to go away from the passage. Uh, there's a couple other teachings in the New Testament. One's in Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Remember, the Holy Spirit works in us, draws us to God, lives inside of us. He has sealed us for the day of redemption. And he says to us, believer in Christ, don't grieve him. Don't grieve him. Later in Thessalonians, it's going to say, do not put out the Spirit's fire or do not quench the Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not stymie the Spirit of God. How do we do that? We do that any time we go against what we know in the Word of God to be the right way to behave, the way to live. When you live in opposition to you, what you know is in the Word of God as a believer in God, you are quenching the Spirit's work in your life. You're stymieing the work of God in your life. It really kind of goes back to last week, that whole idea of fruitfulness, remaining in the vine, abiding in the vine, walking in the Spirit, being in step with God. So when I said that, if God brought something to mind and said, you know, I've been, I've been dealing with you about this, I've been putting my finger on this, do you feel it in that nerve? Do you feel it in where the Spirit talks to you? Do you feel that nudge? So what are you going to do with that? Are you going to grieve the Spirit? Are you going to quench the Spirit? It's a scary... Listen, listen, listen. Hear me carefully on this. It's, 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 it's a scary place to live in a place where you continually resist the nudgings and promptings of God. On the outside of the family and on the inside of the family. It's a scary place to live. If you're a child of God, what, I'll tell you the way God works. God always disciplines his children. He, he chastens us when we're disobedient. When we resist his promptings. When we say, thanks but no thanks. You see, this lordship of Christ for believers, it's, a real, it's the real deal. It's not halfway it's not part way. It's all in. And that's the only place that we live in the grace and the peace and the power of God. So, take what you can use wherever you are on your journey. May God help us. And hey, Easter's coming. There's, there's people on the outside. And I'm, I'll tell you what, I... Some of, some of you here gave your life to the Lord on Easter Sunday. I know that to be a fact. And, and I'd like to see that happen again this Easter. Will you have a part in that? 
Will you take that step? Invite somebody? Bring somebody? All right, let's stand together for closing prayer. I'm through preaching. Father, be at work in your people this week. May we shine as a light for you. Oh, Lord, we all know people right now whose eyes are blinded to the gospel. Right now, we agree together. and we, 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 pray, we pray against Satan who blinds people's eyes. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would, would sweep over this community, sweep over our families and our friends. May we see a revival by the work of your Spirit, and we will give all the glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.